Welcome to Sober Not Sane. Be sure and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sober Not Sane. Subscribe to us, like and watch on YouTube, listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And you can find me just at Jeb Fink. Just look, just Google Jeb Fink. I've done a lot of stupid stuff, so I'm on there a lot. Uh, before we start, thank you to Liz from the camera store for helping us out with the cameras. Deeply appreciated, or you wouldn't be able to see us. Uh, so our guest for this episode is a friend of mine, Karen Gosby, and uh, she is, uh, she's an author, she's a mom, she's a, uh, a ton of things. Sadly, a widow. Um, and it's kind of, uh, so you've written this book, A Perfect Nightmare, um, and we were, we were talking before, and uh, you're the other side of my story, which I made it hard for me to read because I'm reading it going, well, wow, look, at I'm a complete asshole. <laughs> like, and the similarities are amazing. But um, tell me a little bit about the basic story. <sighs> well, thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. And, um, I mean, the basics is it's a pretty – pretty common story right very very yeah. common and when we were talking about it beforehand you were saying that uh you were fearing this conversation because because you um you know you had a lot of parallels or similarities for what I experienced and how you treated your loved ones but um I guess the reason why I wanted to come forward with a story was just knowing that it was all too common that that everybody had a story of some sort of addiction or mental illness or um, something that they were trying to hide in their own life and that they were all the same they were very familiar and I just thought if I I brought this story forward and um, and you know the all the vast uh, you know other things that were extensions of the story. Like for instance, um, there was mental illness, there was addiction or substance misuse, whatever you want to talk, but there was also domestic violence. And there was my family of origin, like um, where it came, there was a high degree of, of patriarchy. I mean, it just, it had so many layers that needed to be unpacked. And the bottom line was, was that Although we had all the fingers pointed to someone that was the perpetrator or someone that had the addiction and all right. that, that the reality was myself and my children were trying to find help too. And we had problems that we had to deal with as well. And they weren't as as easily identified and they weren't so obvious. And, and that's why I wanted to talk about it because we're all sort of trying to figure things out. We're all trying to find help, and it's really hard to, to clarify and find the help you need. So we're, so when you see, you grew up in Edmonton, correct? Yeah. And uh, your dad was a, a very big doctor. He's a neurologist. <laughs> a neurologist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, many issues there, and it's kind of to me. I'm looking at that, going, this was a neurologist, like it should be simpler for him to know what's going on than anyone. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, the house <clears throat> we grew up in, the street we grew up, was predominantly uh, medical. And I think at the time that m my mom had postpartum depression with me, and I talk about that in my book, and if you had some sort of depression, which it was very common post-pregnancy, they just uh, prescribed Valium at that time. Yeah. And on that street alone, I think, um, you know, just a small street, there were six or seven uh, um, spouses. I th and I'm not sure if they were all medical or not, but they were wrestling with addiction issues at that time. And I don't know if you, any of you guys have tried Valium, but it just knocks you on your ass at that point. And, yeah. And so, um, you know, you could get it, and they weren't regulating it at that time, and, you know, everybody was sort of... Um, floating around, not dealing with anything. They didn't understand postpartum depression. They didn't really believe in psychology and psychiatry at that time. And all of those things were just coming on the rise. So 
So although he was very influential in his medical field, and, and you know, he's a great doctor, an absolute, it just wasn't something re they really understood in the 70s. And probably not even, I'm, I mean, what, I was, I went to Betty Ford six, six and a half years ago, and uh, they were bringing in interns, and the interns were shocked. Yeah. Because, you know, they didn't really get taught much in med school, and that's not that long ago. Well, and that's, you know, the whole mental illness and addiction part. I think um, I've talked to some people where they spend a week on it or um, two weeks. And it's something that I think is, it's a huge reason why I came forward because it's been so um, underfunded and it's been ignored and it hasn't really been, um, uh, it hasn't got the respect that it needs and it deserves because whether it's mental illness, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, you know, it's time to sort of address the fact that that this is something that needs to be addressed because there's so many other things that are an extension of, um, you know, having sort of those those problems not be really understood. Well, and... and I think maybe not not only not being understood, but not even being spoken about. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I mean, my mom took Valium. Uh, my dad was a big drinker. And uh, I don't know if you just, do you think you go to what you know, like when you're looking for a mate? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think you go with what you're familiar with. And, and it, I think if you don't deal with the um, root of the matter or our own family circumstances. So that's why when we were talking about um, addictive personalities being deceptive, I, yeah. you know, like it, it, oftentimes I think it, it, it takes a lot of work to be addicted, right? And a lot of times people that are, they're really lovable, they're super smart, they're bright, and you just think about all the energy that goes into having that behavior. But is it a learned behavior? Like, are you just sort of absorbing what, what you were around when you were young? And, um, and being charming out yeah. of the house. <laughs> In the house, you did what you did, but out of the house, you know, always well, charming. But even what you did in the house, you sort of recreated in your own, in your own house later on, right? And if you had a super healthy person that you couldn't be deceptive to, that wouldn't be fulfilling for you, right? You need to have someone that meets you where you're at and, and can yes. play that game, right? Well, and the enabler. Yeah, and so that's why, I mean, for myself, like, I would say to my parents, um, I'm, uh, I'm really sick, and they would get upset about that because, you know, I, was, I wasn't drinking a lot, I was eating well, I was exercising, but my mindset would always want to go to sort of repetitive abuse, for lack of a better word, right? right. Like, I, I wanted to go back to sticking my head in the sand and, and, you know, repeating the same behavior because that's what satisfied me. And I, I mean, I don't talk about this really, but I dated a lot of really healthy people before I was with George and, and that didn't fulfill me. So what does that say right there? Right. Right. I don't, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that, but um, I do know from the addict's point of view, when, we want something, like with my second wife, uh, she was my goal. She was, that is the woman I want. And uh, you just chase it and you make it happen. Well, there's obviously something, like there's something that is um, re rewarding on both ends. Because oftentimes now when I look back, and that's why I wanted to come forward, because if I had the ability to give somebody some insight as to the road they're going down to, like if, if um, somebody that's younger comes to me and they say, oh, I really like this girl, but she has no interest in me. And I want to say, well, it's because you're not fucked up enough, right? Yeah. Like I, it, it's keep, and, and, and uh, oftentimes if you're not, um, if you're not tearing each other's clothes off and you're not having that toxic relationship People don't equate that to love. And that's because that's 
that's what you're familiar with. And it's also yeah. messaged a lot of times, right? In, in um, you know, a lot of stuff that we watch on TV or in the movies or, you know, whatever platforms that, that what we equate love to now, largely in society, isn't always necessarily that healthy. Well, do you think, like in the media, do you think it's a, a fact that that drama makes whatever program more interesting? Like watching two really healthy people have a great relationship and get along just... It doesn't sell. Well, absolutely. Yeah, that, that. And what was the one where um, Lady Gaga and, and the Silver, um, you know, the, the movie that just recently came out? And they actually, actually talked about suicide. The Stars Born? Yeah. The remake? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we all heard that song over and over again. But, and everybody was like, oh, wow, it's so great. It's so great. And I, I thought it was interesting that Hollywood finally kindly kind of uh, suggested that there was suicide in the storyline because nobody wants to touch that. Yeah. And everybody knows someone that has attempted or that has committed suicide. And we're just starting to have those conversations. But, but it was just, it was like one day there was a, um, there was a scene where, you know, he was in the bathtub or something like that and then the next day uh and they don't get along they have a really bad fight and then the next day you know he takes his the next scene he takes his life and the reality is is like from that point to when he actually takes his life it's day in and day out and it's repetition and it's years and years and years and it's it's abusive and it's hitting and it's you know it's like it's it's hanging up it's constant text it's you know, there's there's just so much more behaviors around that, and so it it kind of almost um, it reinforces the fact that that kind of drama is equated to Hollywood and in its love, and it it's really sending a very negative mes- message to a certain degree. Yeah. With the, I mean that that's my opinion about it, and that's why when I wrote that book, I just wanted to say this is what happened and this is not normal. And if you actually want to get healthy and you want to find help, it's actually very, very hard. Yeah. It's, you know what I, um, I find for most people, number one, it's hard to talk about. And number two, it's uncomfortable for people to listen to. What just, um, well, if you, if you went to your friends and told them the truth about how you were feeling, uh, it's more like if you went to someone and said, you know, I'm really thinking about killing myself, the other person, in in my view, would be so uncomfortable, they wouldn't want to talk to you. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. They, they wouldn't think of, oh, how can I get them help? How can I do this? How can I do that? They just know I just, um, this has to go away. Well, so that that is really the thing we should be talking about because I've had more people come up to me and say, you know, this, I, I hear the so-and-so is not doing well, and, and I've heard that they're suicidal. What do I do? Like, why don't, why don't people know what to do with that? Or um, I think so-and-so next door is in an abusive relationship, and you say, well, why? Well, I hear them fighting, and I hear her being knocked around. Why aren't we doing anything about that? Like, why do we not want to have those difficult conversations? And then when you do have them, and I had them, people will criticize people that come out and have them and say, oh, she thinks she knows everything, or, you know, look at what she's doing to the kids. You know? Yeah, that (laughs) was, we talked about that a long time ago. Yeah. And people are like, why would you do that to your kids? And, And to me, it's like, well, you're trying to help everyone. Isn't that a better example than not? Or how about the fact my kids lived every day? under that and we're experiencing it and they're actually in fact encouraging me to come out because they're saying yeah you know if you can help someone else I mean I wasn't shielding them they weren't living in another part of a reality and didn't know any of this was coming on you know occurring in the marriage yeah that I mean I grew up in a in a alcoholic family and it's not like we didn't all know yeah and not and I, I don't mean just the core family my mom devout born-again Christian which I think was her answer to everything, and yeah. maybe a little volume thrown in, <laughs> and uh, which and she never thought she was an addict because those came from a doctor, 
Yeah. So that yeah. that you couldn't be an addict, though that's medicine. Yeah. And then my dad was just a huge drinker. And and honestly, as a kid, as a young boy, it was way more fun to hang out with dad, you know? And uh, mom was definite buzzkill. <laughs> and she just kind of gave up on me at one point. But, yeah, it was no secret to the kids. Although um, I have heard, <laughs> heard from... Uh, my sister one time that said, oh, no, that's not what happened. I'm thinking, really? It's funny, though, how siblings have such different views on uh, what did happen. Yeah. yeah. She was a better kid than I was, yeah. so maybe she did have a totally different reality. Everybody has their own reality. But, it, you know, I find it, like, interesting how we all sort of – we adhere to whatever belief system we need to hang on to to feel okay or to feel like um, this is all we need to get us through life. And so your mom with her Christian values and, yeah. and you know, so floating through life was how she was dealing with your alcoholic dad. And then you were learning like some ninja management skills as to how oh, yeah. to become an up-and-coming when to disappear. You know, yeah. I knew when to not be home. That yeah. was for sure. But also to manage your own life when you get older, right? Like yeah. you had the best training to be who you are or who you became, right? Yeah. And honestly, in my first marriage, I became my father really fast. And in my yeah. second marriage, and I mean, I still love her, and um, she took really good care of me. So it, she really wasn't as much of an enabler as I think people think, because I think I spent so much time on the road, she was kind of clueless. And I don't know how much your husband was gone. I know he worked a lot yeah. and uh, everywhere. So it's a lot easier to hide things when you're not there. You know what I find interesting, actually, is, is so I'll just talk on my, my own situation after he passed, a lot of people came out of the woodwork that had had um, relationships with him. And the ones that he was invested in were people that I found uh, were like me in a way, were, you know, people that he could um, have some sort of control over. Right. Or he could control. And, and, I, and a lot of the people that he ended up having relationships with, like, I, I don't feel any ill, you know, will to them. I just, I, I understand that he was, he was a, a charismatic, you know, there were, he was a pretty likable guy. He was good looking. He had this perception. He was super successful. But the ones that he had more intimate relationships with, like not just physical relationships right. with, were ones that um, he could control. And that's what I found. And then he was involved with a lot of people that were equally as narcissistic as him. And it was just, you know, they were meeting, having a good time or whatever. But what I find interesting is that uh, that um, we had the same characteristics, the ones that he could control. And so I would almost like to take those people in a room and, and say, well, what was your background? Like, why, why did we become susceptible to being controlled and highly managed by him? And we were the ones that were kind of more under the banner of being emotionally abused. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? So, so I, I, like when we talk about how equals or how we find each other, that is, that's what I'd like to understand. You know, and is it yeah. the, the construct of of just the order of things? Like, you know, you talk about your mom and your dad, and, and did they have a good relationship? Would you call it mutually respectful? No. And then, well, <laughs> you know what? It was odd. Like, my dad respected my mom a lot, loved her a lot. Uh, my mom would spend a lot of time angry at my dad because of things that he did. But I don't... Uh, I mean, I literally have a piece of my act that, you know, my mom was a devout born-again Christian and my dad was a devoted alcoholic, and I, I have no idea where they met. Yeah, and Like, so where are those to... two people 
found some sort of love or whatever. Yeah. Or, or yeah. I, I mean, and again, it goes back to I think we hang on to or we sink our teeth into whatever we need to get us through the day. Right. Yeah. Do you think get get you through the day as opposed to moving forward as a person? Well, I mean, for me, having put 23 years in, just sort of scrambling to keep my head above water and to get through the day, I wanted to move forward and grow as a person from that point on once I had the ability to be able to do that because I was surviving one day after the other, you know, in this relationship that had mental illness, it had addiction, and had domestic violence as well, right? And so once I broke off of that, and that was literally after he passed, I wanted to grow and be able to get through the day and become better and and help people, right? So I would say move forward as a person. But going back to, you know, I just, I've come to the conclusion, we've talked about this, is that you have to meet people where they're at. And, and maybe you're, as your mom is a God-loving Christian and your dad is an alcoholic, they were perfectly happy in their existence. And why do we demand that they should have more or they should be more, right? Yeah, yeah I don't know. Or, you know, I mean, we can poke fun at it. And we can have it part of our <clears throat> comedy routine, <laughs> But and that's the biggest thing I think with addiction too. And and now when we talk about modified drug p- treatment programs and and you know Betty Ford and you just you have to do what works for you. Yeah, and you know it's funny. Um, I I kind of think of it as some people. Uh, I mean, obviously, I got to the point where it was time. Yeah, and I think some people just never get there and one of the interesting things that when i was at the betty ford uh one of the interns that was there for a month he said i thought you guys would all be bums i said do you know what it costs to get in here he said you're all like really high a personality motivated successful i said yeah because we're here but doesn't that in itself like you know that there's someone that's actually devoting themselves to you know humanity and medicine and that they just don't have that basic understanding that addiction doesn't yeah. have a socioeconomic you know oh, yes. like how how could he say something like that and not really just really understand that I I would assume probably from his upbringing that was what he was taught yeah that people that can't control their addiction are just, you know, they're just not that smart. They're not successful. They're losers. They're, you know, and it's like, no, that's a totally separate thing. Yeah. And that, that's a big thing too, right? Is the whole, the losers and all that, because I think that is something that, um, and and when I came to the, the, finally to the conclusion that there was no way that, uh, George was going to get better. Right. And that, you know, I just didn't have to enable it or I didn't have to be around it. I had to carve my own path outside of it. And it wouldn't be easy, but it was it was really liberating for me to just realize that my understanding and my perception that I was that I was um, I was trying to encourage in him was not going to happen. All right then it, it, it was it was truly liberating and it made me understand addiction a little bit more. And the reality is, is most people that are as addicted as he is, I mean, you basically, a year in an anomaly because most people actually do pass away. Yeah. In their 40s or their 50s to the degree of, um, you know, how how he was living his life. Right. And I assume how you are too in the stories, but you can speak for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it was uh balls to the walls <laughs> all the time. And especially when I was away and couldn't get caught, which is kind of a bad mentality for any relationship. So when you just like when you were going away 
was there just something like that was mischievously satisfying for you knowing that it was balls to the walls and you could just do anything and then you would come back and you would have this other Jeff that would show up? Well, we, yeah, you know what? We, I mean, we had wine at dinner. We drank. We didn't by no means drank the way I did on the road, but I was in a culture that uh, that's what everyone did. You know, at the comedy festival, uh, one of, one of the comedy festivals comes after all the shows and picks all the comics up and drives them all to the same bar. So you got a hundred comics just sitting there getting hammered together, and awesome. it's very uh, it's a boys' club. It's uh, uh, even for the women that are comedians are part of the boys' club in there and. Uh, it's just, it's almost a separate world. And I think, I don't think I'm the only person like that. I think it happens for salesmen. I think it happens for mm-hmm. whomever. Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, so what do people, the, the clean comedians do? Like, what would you do now? Then you just wouldn't go to the bar no. beforehand? No, I don't. I came off the road, started a, a food business which is uh, not as profitable. It, I mean, it is now because of COVID. Yeah. But um, I just didn't trust myself being on the road. I mean, because that was like a big, giant playground. So, I mean, I'm just curious. <clears throat> do you find this boys' club, and if the girls are trying to mingle in it, do they, um, do they ha- equally have the same sort of issues, or do you think they're faced with more? Um, I don't know. You'd have to talk to to one of them. Yeah. There, there's a far less number of female comedians than male. Yeah. And it's a very um, male centric thing to do. It's a very power, you know, control. All of these people, and I'm going to tell them, you know, and they have to listen because they paid to see it to listen. Yeah. And. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it bounces back and forth. I'd, I've known lots of female comedians that had really equal problems to mine. So You mean just uh, addiction problems yeah, yeah. specifically? I think it's more about uh, what, you, what we're all doing as opposed to gender. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I just, I think for me now, I start to see the things like through the lens of like, if we go back to my childhood and I, I grew up, it was relatively healthy. I mean, sure, my mom, she had now severe depression. It wasn't addiction so much, I, you know, although she, she did take Valium because it was a Valium days, right? And right. she was, she was, um, had to go through rehab. Because she had the characteristics, like she had addiction, but it would have been severe depression. And the reason why I say that now is because she can have a glass of wine here and there and it's not a problem at all. And she's not waking up, you know, thanking the Lord that she's sober every day. She's, that that it was depression. She had major, and she also had problems where um, I talk about it. Uh, you know, that she had had abuse that she had suffered in, you know, her family of origin growing up. And so she had to deal with all of that um, when she did have, she had an attempted suicide. But I just, I think that getting back to my dad sort of being the head of the household and everything revolving around him and her suffering with her depression it, it goes back to being that male-directed world where you right. buy into that order. And if you're a female, a lot of times you have to realize how to play that game. And you either, um, you know, you either go with the flow and see where you can go or you're in opposition to it or you have, you know, your order in things. And when you talk about being a comedian – and just being a female, I think it would be actually one of the hardest things to... Oh, I think it's more difficult for them. Yeah. It's less accepted still. It, I know. And it's and like this amazing, right how could that still be? Well, and when you talk about grooming, right? Like, I, I, there wasn't any overt things that I can point to, but just 
how I grew up gave me the, I was the perfect candidate to be in a situation where I would be a good mate for someone like George that was right. in addiction. But, you know, had I been maybe a little bit more nimble or a male or something, maybe I could have become a, a comedian or, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I just, to me, it seemed like uh, it was just limited in my lack of understanding. But kind of at that time, too, even um, even women in the workplace at, at whatever and, and the jobs weren't as available for women. And then maybe they met somebody in the office and got married. They were expected to quit and go home. Yeah, absolutely. At that time. They weren't even thought there was no thought, well, you're not staying. You got married. Okay, well, I mean, if, if you're going to throw out the statistics, like it, it, you could still um, get away with raping your wife in 1984 in Canada and the U.S., right? They made it against the law. And women had the right to have a credit card in 1970 without uh, the, oh my God. You know, a male signing it or the birth control was around 1970-72 as well. So when you talk about women's rights and um, just in, in general context, you can understand why, but you add mental illness on top of it and you add addiction on top of that, which is a world that nobody understood at all. And they still really don't like what no. we're talking about. Then that that's why I knew if I did anything in that area, it was going to be received well because it's just it's it's just starting to shine the light on that and we can thank covid and we can thank you know just this um epidemic of of uh you know fentanyl overdoses that have happened with the lockdown and all that stuff because we're really starting to s see that this is a reality yeah yeah it's um I don't know. The world has changed so much. Like I can remember as a kid, my dad, we lived in California and my dad, dad would say, well, you know, I guess I'm eventually going to have to go out to the desert for the cure, which meant there was actually, it was probably closer to an asylum than anything else that they put you out in to dry out. Hmm. And it was never, he called it getting the cure. And it was just being sober long enough to make smart decisions. But what, what kind of gets me is I don't think people understand how long you have to be sober before your brain starts to work better. So how long is that? I don't, I'm sure it's different for everyone. Yeah. But I know, like, I got to five years, and I told people if I'm not, if I don't feel better, if I'm not happier in five years, I'm going to start again. Really? Like, just, yeah. I'm going to give it five years, we'll take a shot. And it, I had just come around to the thought of, well, that'd be pretty stupid. Yeah. You know, I got five years invested. And uh, uh, it's not that my life is better. You know, in a lot of ways, my life is far worse being sober. <laughs> but, you know, I knew how to navigate the other world. That's so interesting that you say that. So how long have you been sober now? Six and a half years. Huh. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you would think that you would compare the two and you wouldn't necess necessarily say your life is better. Yeah, it, you know what? Uh, but I don't. Th I I think if you took that block of time, for a lot of people on Earth right now, it's not better. So the block of time when you were addicted. No, when the block of time that I've been sober. Yeah. Um, I think things have rapidly gone downhill. Oh, you mean just in, in for in general, yeah, like with yeah, the COVID and yeah. with. You know, the culture in America and American politics and uh, social media and people thinking it's okay to say whatever they want yeah, out there yeah, because yeah. they're just putting it out there and it's not their problem yeah. anymore. Yeah. And the lack of responsibility for what people say and do, I don't think it's, I don't think it's improved. I think it's gotten worse. Yeah, I totally agree. And maybe, uh, okay, so... The six and a half years that you're sober compared to how many years were you addicted? 43. And so when, when, what age did you consider yourself addicted at? Oh, honestly, probably 16. So really, you've probably had 20 years of sobriety. Or 20, 21. Counting from zero to... To 16 plus, well, six, so 22. I mean, that's not very good math, but I... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm... But you know what I mean? For As far as childhood, 
I mean, it's, it's just like uh, none of us had a perfect childhood. I don't think it happens. No, no, we didn't. But do you think if you could have wrote out what's happened in the last six and a half years and you, with you managing your life like you did when you were addicted, that it would have been better? Uh, better is a bad way to put it. When I, it, I went to a thing called Smart Recovery, and one of the things you had to do was write down uh, the pluses to your addiction and then the negatives. I'm like, well, there's no plus to this. And the guy goes, well, you've been doing it for over 40 years. You must have been getting something out of it. And to think about it in that way, going, okay, what did I get out of it that kept me in it? And that as opposed to it being what great things there were about it, what rewards did I get, I yeah. guess, would be a way to look at it. And, uh, yeah, I don't – I. I mean, me as a human being, I, I think I'm probably a better human being than I was. Now. Now, now. yes. Then, no, I wasn't a very good human so being. So what, what do you think would be the top three things you got out of being addicted? I uh, didn't have to think. Yeah. Had a lot of fun. I uh, was pretty much willing to do anything. Okay, so then do you have fun now at all? Not a lot. And you overthink? I did. You know what? I... Um, my mom put it to me one time, like she was in a, in a care place, and uh, um, she said, you know, it's not my favorite place, but I'm very content here. And I thought, I've never been content. <laughs> like there's always, there's got to be something better, something bigger, yeah, something yeah, faster, yeah, yeah. something. And uh, I thought, content's not a bad thing. You know, like I live in a place now that I really like. I like the people there. Uh, so you're content now, though. Yeah, I'm more content than I've ever been. So that would be the good thing that came from it. So if you had to tell someone young, like the young, you know, Jeb, what what would... Like my grandchildren? Yeah, like what would you tell them? Well, I've actually had quite a conversation with uh, two of them. Yeah. Uh, One of them had... uh, he ended up at uh, 20 years old having a heart attack and then finally copped to the fact that they were doing coke. Wow. Yeah, and so he, I think he had had COVID too, and there's a condition, actually a hockey player just, they announced that he had it, and it, it um, infects something around your heart. Okay. And for that young age bracket, it makes you really susceptible to heart attacks. And... Uh, I guess what I tell them is, you know, the one thing that I could tell my parents or somebody older that was trying to tell me, I could say, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, I do. You mean when he's telling you, he's making What he was doing. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, oh, you know, four of us split a gram of Coke. That doesn't give you a heart attack, buddy, okay? Yeah. I lived in Cokeland for a long time. So don't tell me that you split a quarter ground, you know, like. But what would you tell them though, it, so they don't? Well, go it's down funny the they 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 know everything, and we were talking about patterns. Yeah. And I said, look, I'm sure that that your mother told you everything about me because she was mad at me for what I did and feels I might have been responsible for how she ended up. At first, not now. She's been sober for quite a while, and uh, I said the funny thing is. Uh, I'd said, I'm not going to be my dad. Yeah. I'm sure my kid said, not going to be my dad. Yeah. And with the exception of, I'm batting 500 right now. I got two that aren't, two that are. And it's, uh, I don't know what it is. Like, maybe go to what you know. Yeah, I, I, I like, I mean, for myself, I, I ask... I ask that all the time, like, what what could I tell someone where I can see where their future is going? You know, and it, that that was a huge push for me to write that book, where if if I can have influence on them taking a different direction than right. what I did, but it just, it seems like it's just so imprinted in patterns and behaviors and that they have to, you know, they almost have to experience it on their own to make that decision not to do it. Do you think maybe it's um, 
I know when I was a kid, the big thing was don't start smoking pot. Pot's a gateway drug. Yeah, yeah. And they tried to scare you into not doing it, which never works. You can't scare anybody into doing anything. Yeah. Um, but how, how would you present the option of there is a different way? Well, I mean, when you look at, at um, in, in health, they've got prevention, promotion, treatment, and recovery. Right, and if you're gonna think about that, with mental mental health or mental illness, even addiction, so it goes back to the prevention window, right? right? And and it, I I told my story, my family of origin, and and it wasn't hugely supported from my family, and you have a hard time with that talking about you know what you did to your family and 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 where you came from as well, but. I think that prevention lens is the most important thing. And, and for me, the patterns and marginalized behavior and, you know, uh, all that stuff, it starts right from conception. It starts, you know, with the behaviors that are in the family. And we right. weren't all lying and cheating in, in our house. You know, we were just basically a June Cleaver, leave it to Beaver, you know, like upper middle class neighborhood. But the only thing I can sort of put my finger on is the fact that it was, it was a very male dominant time, and you know, and I kind of fell into that, and you just you didn't really sort of speak out, but that's right. my own situation, right? Like, and then there's all the mental illness and the addiction on top of it, and I like I, I don't know. I'm asking you, like, I scratch my head all the time, and I think, what can we do from a prevention perspective to give the up-and-coming generation more. You know, you have to think that you see the, you know, like the uh, fentanyl. And, uh, I mean, they're grinding out fentanyl and putting it in cocaine and killing people. And it, it's they're putting it in everything. And it's just, I my assumption would be it's an effort to make it more addictive so that they build a bigger customer base. And yeah. obviously they are uh, salesmen that don't give a shit about their customers. Yeah. They don't care if they live or die. They just want the money. And maybe they were raised and don't know any different. But um, what a horrible way to make your money. Well, and then, I mean, that goes to with everything. Like, it, you know, I keep saying the whole um, – that's like the capitalist view on on just follow the Success. money. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And in our society. And, I mean, we're talking about just – uh, you know, politics in general and elections coming up. And it, like, do you fall under where you're more sort of a socialist versus a capitalist? And is that going to provide more prevention programs for what we're concerned about or not? Or Well, I think part of the problem is the politicians really don't understand it. And they're making the decisions, the policy. Yeah, with yeah. The, what, yeah. what do we do with the money to, to help people? Well, and that's why when I came forward and then all of a sudden I'm being put into these circles, like it, sometimes I feel like I'm spinning and I just, I, th I think, what do I focus on, right? Like, where am I going to have the most impact? And so I think prevention and policy, because you, you're getting it all, you know, and then hopefully everything in between where you've got the promotion, treatment and recovery, like all of that yeah. stuff kind of works out but you're working on the t the most important features of that that continuum i would i would think just a uh probably without the government involved at all better home lives and better uh better examples of how to be adults would so, help so I don't know how we do that. Well, I, I mean, I agree. Like, so it's, it's, it's um, uncovering the stigma of things. Yeah. And, and that, that's why I've always tried to encourage you to come out and, and tell your story more because I think you're a walking example of something that is hugely successful. I mean, you had so many years that you were doing all this and, and you've defied the odds where you're here, you're alive and you can talk about your recovery and yeah. you're also, you're, you know, really known in the public. Well, and you know what, if anybody wants to, it's funny because sometimes I do have people call me and they say, we, 
we'd like you to talk to our son. I said, here's the deal. If your son calls me and wants to talk, I'll be there. Yeah. Otherwise, you can't make him listen to me. Yeah. And I mean, because I was that kid, you know, I wouldn't listen to anybody. You'd have those conversations and then you'd be devising something in your mind that you were going to do anyway. That was your own decision, right? Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a, and I, I just, I, uh, the answer is so elusive that I don't know what, what you do. Like, it's just, uh, and like you say, follow the money. There's so much money involved in all of this. Yeah. And even as in general pharmaceuticals, um, I mean, it's with COVID people, there are people out there that truly believe COVID was invented by the pharmaceutical companies to sell the cure. No, I know. <laughs> and it's kind of like, I don't think so. Yeah. Well, and even with the fentanyl, too, and addiction, it's really screwing people up, I think, because there's, uh, you know, people that are just sort of um, being introduced to a level of addiction at so much earlier on than, yeah. you know, the continuum of where you would be starting to use those really hard drugs and, you know, chasing that really that that high now and and it's it's bringing addiction into people's living living room you know because of the pandemic and and people um you know just not being able to go in and do it quietly or right um, have it hidden yeah well it, and you know what in the entertainment world all of that's been almost totally accepted for years you know, I mean, if you go all the way back to when the studios owned the artists, they had doctors on set that would come and give them amphetamines to get them more work out of them. And, you know, and it's just like they, they were just a part of the product, right? They weren't even human beings to the most of the studios. And uh, so it sort of became accepted. And now you look, I mean, how often do you hear some star or some musician or like OD? Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know. It sounds like when you have these conversations though, you get kind of depressed. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is depressing cuz it it looks almost hopeless. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, okay, like like what do we actually do? And and I think part of the problem too, it's sort of like um uh the the politicians just they don't know anything about it. They're not that kind of person. Well, people start talking about now like the legalization of of stuff and our decriminalization, I guess. Right. And you know, maybe that is the answer. Uh, you know, they've done it in, in other areas. We can we can look make it less enchanting because yeah. it's legal. But I mean, I was having a conversation and I can't remember exactly where, but you know, the um the marijuana now the that uh you know is approved of the medical marijuana right uh, apparently it's not as popular and it's not doing as well because people prefer to have exactly what they the, they did have and the clandestine and this yeah. guy's been my dealer for 30 yeah. years and they feel disloyal i guess and so i mean i don't know have you heard anything about that yeah, I have heard a, a lot of. I've I've also heard, and I've said to people, what amazed me is that the government decided to get into the marijuana business, and uh, obviously they're going to tax it and make money off of it, and that's part of the plan. Is it's a revenue source for them, um, and then I have friends that that smoke a lot of pot, and the first thing they said was the government pot's really shitty, and yeah. I said, you know what's funny. They have all these great pot growers in jail, and they're not utilizing them to make a better product to sell. Yeah, and, I've and at this point, why are they still in jail? <laughs> you know, yeah, no I kidding. Don't know. <laughs> Makes no sense. Huh? Yeah, I, I, and I just you think about all of that uh, work to legalize something like that, and to have all these stores, you know, come right. up and. And people making a ton of money off of it and, and the money and the taxation and all that. Like, it, was that going back, if it was going back into some sort of um, uh, making the social sector or, or utilizing, like, figuring out drug treatment programs or whatever. An awareness. And, yeah. Any, 
kind of well look at all they they put all the ads out for alcohol and people still just and and quite honestly if i had to if i had to pick if somebody said okay which would you rather have legal i'd say pot but i have no interest in pot well and, and alcohol is still the number one thing that people are addicted to right well and and more people die from alcohol withdrawal yeah. than heroin so that's not a good statistic. People, people don't really understand that. You should explain. Well, your body just shuts down. I know, but it, you it, go it into alcohol poisoning. Like your volume that you can ingest becomes so large that, and basically, it's poisoning your body. That's what alcohol does. That's what makes you drunk. So what, what it poisons level, your right? brain? Hmm? Like so, if you just uh, if you have a glass of wine, or if you have every day, or twice a day are you poisoning your body technically a little bit but you're not probably not killing yourself yeah but at the levels most people that uh drink or drink like i did uh you're literally i was a blackout drinker every day mostly hmm. especially when i was on the road and somehow it got in my head that was the only way i could sleep and that was uh what I would do, and uh, I had doctors when I had trouble sleeping would offer me sleeping pills, and I was like, "No, I don't." So okay, just I, I'm just to educate me a little bit. How did you know when you were getting so drunk when you were gonna black out? Like, it was there a sort of like a monitoring going on in like counting? Yeah, like did you be like, okay, so I need like uh, a forty glass or two, and then no, like large amounts. Uh, but, you, you know, like when you have sort of that screening mechanism, like you just you knew the quantity that you had to have or do, do you get what I'm well, saying? Well, you would block out and whatever you had left was more than you needed. So you just, like, there's no science to it. I mean, I'm sure there are people. I know people that count their drinks. Well, I mean, because I think this might be the key, and I don't think I'm saying anything that's rocket science here, but it, when I have a little bit too much and I start to get tipsy, I was, I'm like, whoa, I don't need it anymore. You just never had that monitor. Don't have enough. <laughs> that was what you were thinking. Yeah, and it's really funny when I started, kind of, I thought I was crazy. So I went to a psychiatrist, and he said, no, here's your problem. You, don't, you have no stop. And he said, I would assume you have no stop in anything in your life. Like, there is no way that, like, if I'm doing something that I want to do and I become compulsive about it, I just don't stop. So is that true now? No, not, not so much. I mean, I probably eat too much, but I really like food. So you have to learn contentment and stop. Yeah. That's and I don't know how you teach that. To your young kids. And to be honest, yeah. oh, yeah, you got to yeah. teach it to little kids. Like adults, it's kind of a little bit, like you say, I'm one of the lucky ones. Like I actually came around yeah. And, yeah. And, and bared through it to get to the point where I am now. But um, I don't know how you teach that's enough to kids. And I, I would imagine, I'll bet you every school teacher out there, K through 5, can tell you, which one of the kids in their class are compulsive? Well, I think that they've they have done studies where they're able to to predict the kids that'll have addiction problems. You've heard. Oh, about I'm that, sure. Right? Yeah, yeah. In, in Kata, but we have this information, but because it's it's largely not researched enough or evidence based right. enough, or and it's not understood enough that there's not a lot we can do about it. Well, it's funny because we talked about it's, you know, follow the money. Where does the money go? Yeah. And I talked to uh, one of the first rehabs I went to. I was talking to the counselor I had who was newer into counseling, very good, but newer. And uh, he said, you know, it's uh, going to sound really bad, but I'm definitely in a growth industry. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, we're not going to have less addicts down the road. Well, and that, see, that's the thing I had a hard time with, right, was the whole rehab industry and just how much money goes into it and how, how little results they do have. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just 
the sky is the limit, right? Like you can you can do equine ther- ther- therapy yeah. or you know you can do um, uh, uh, you know. I had a friend that joked about it, and he said, uh, "What did what did you do at Betty Ford?" And I told him everything. He told me about the place he went. We went for horseback rides. I know, I know, and, and it, it was. Works I, for I some believe, people, right? yeah, yeah, and you know yeah. what? I believe that he's still sober to this day. But because the, the thing is, is Betty Ford the greatest place in the world to help people? I don't know. Was I just ready? Yeah, I think that's the big thing, right? Yeah. And so, how how do we? determine when someone's ready or not and how do not we get them to. there how do we help them get there not get them there but yeah but also like so in my own case um george went twice right and how can we have that as a cost saving that he doesn't have to go the first time because he's not ready yeah you know like what is the screening tool i don't know i have no idea so they say that it takes a woman that's in a domestically violent relationship seven times to leave the person before they to actually leave. leave, right? Yeah. You know, and how from a prevention perspective, and why don't we know enough about that? Like, we know all the signs of heart attack, or we know the pre-screening for cancer. And, right. and that was my big thing, right? Like, is the only reason why we don't know any of this stuff and we don't have enough prevention and promotion and we're getting everybody in in the rehab industry, and they're making a ton of money off of it, is because no one wants to figure that out because they want to continue to do that the way that they're doing it. Well, it's kind of the theory that there are a lot of people believe they have the cure for cancer, but there's just too much money in it. Yeah. yeah I mean, I've, then, heard, I've heard that from more than one person. I, I You know what? I'm not even going to blurt any sort of idiot opinion on that. Yeah. But uh, I would find it really hard to believe that, they could get an entire industry to join up for that but well you think about like about all the places you can go and all the modalities that you can have right for and and how many of them are really effective or how many of them do work because like i said you're an anomaly that you're still here and you are completely recovered and that you've had six years of sobriety considering how many years you had where you were addicted right yeah and i'll say you know what i i um I do have people ask me, are, are you cured? And um, so, well, no, because I can't drink. I know I can't drink. Yeah. But uh, I don't have that desire anymore. So how do you remove that? You know, I just think, like, I'm not a dumb guy. Like, I knew that it was going to kill me eventually, but how do you get somebody to that point? And I know a lot of people that get that de- desperate. And sadly, many of them just give up and kill themselves because they can't deal with being like that anymore. Yeah. Well, and I mean the, the deception, right? Like uh, when, you, when you unpack um, people that generally have – these marginalized behaviors there's so many more layers like most of them are are um perpetrators on so like where they are violent towards other people or or they are involved with crime too right right and or white collar or whatever and and to me like i don't know your entire story but it, it, <laughs> I, and I'm not asking too, but I, I think in my own case, I feel like um, the sobriety part of it was lowest on the totem pole because there were so many other things that they had to deal with that the easiest out was that thing that kind of kept circling back in their life. And that's why right. a lot of people end up, you know, uh, drinking themselves to death or, you know, or taking their own life or, you know, it becomes a, a, a tragic situation. I actually had somebody after a, a meeting ask me, and he said, how long do you think it would take you to drink yourself to death? And I said, a month, month and a half. And he said, I could do it in a week. Really? Wow. And it was like kind of a weird challenge there, buddy. But the reason we're here is because we can do that when we don't want to be dead. So I just, I think it's time like to have these discussions and the reality because 
you know, as it is right now, the recovery um, community is it's about connection. It's about, you know, meeting in meetings and supporting each other, which is fantastic. But we also have to uncover the realities of the real world about it and about a lot of these people got themselves in very difficult situations. They hurt their loved ones. You know, they hurt their family. The family is just as sick as they are to a certain degree. And, and we have to start talking about it. We have to start understanding it. And we have to start saying, hey, if Jeb Fink has addiction, but he doesn't need to go to AA all the time, that's okay. Because, you know, it works for him. And you know what? I've said that to tons of people. I don't care how you get sober. If you want to be sober, figure out a way and do it. Yeah. But there is no, and part of the problem with these different dogmas of how to get get sober, the the people that believe in them truly believe that's the only way. But there is no only way. Yeah, yeah. I think There's, that's the big thing. Yeah, ice cream seems to be a big answer for me. Really? I eat ice cream every day. First thing in the morning? No, I did when I had the dental work done. <laughs> I put a scoop of ice cream and poured Boost on it, and stirred it up. <laughs> Called it breakfast. <laughs> We're back on uh, Sober Not Sane, and uh, Karen Gosby, my guest for this edition, we just. You just said to me when we were on camera that it just seems like we're going round and round, and I thought that's a really accurate description of what goes on with this discussion yeah. always. Yeah, yeah, and th and that is why I I decided, and I've said this before, that any anything you do in this world, I think, will help it because it just it, it seems like it's. Um, you know, it is sort of a circular pattern, you know, generation after generation and, and not knowing where to get help. And, you know, just it, uh, these, these behaviors just sort of being repeated over and over. And, and that I thought that if I told my story, at least, and someone could identify with it, or if I helped from the prevention, like I said, or, you know, right. the treatment or recovery part, then it was going to help someone and whether I kind of wanted to be involved or not wanted to be involved. But the more I, I started to go down this road, I realized that anything you do really helps it uh, not be so circular. <laughs> how, how worried are you about your sons? Well, what I'm most worried about them, I mean, I'm worried with all the kids that um, they will have the genetic predisposition, you know, to um, not be able to self-manage and they'll have addictive like tendencies. I mean, I can't deny the fact that I probably walk a fine line too and in being addictive in my life, like I, I like to run every day and if I don't, then, then, you know, and there's no doubt about it that, that my, um, uh, that my routine depends on it. I'm, I'm more in particular worried about their uh, attitude towards women and just understanding. And, and I think because I've been sort of front and center in their life that they ha um, understand that there's no, um, you know, differentiation, that there's the mutual respect and that women aren't second-class citizens. And, and even though they definitely witness that within the family, and how the treatment of, you know, uh, my role and how I was treated um, being the wife and, and the mother of the children. For my daughter, um, I worry about her uh, succumbing to that role where, you know, she will sort of put aside her own self-interest and she will, you know, behind, be behind someone and raise kids and and. Um, and not that that is the most important thing, but that she won't be as good as she can be just because that's what I modeled to her. Right. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> is it? Where can, uh, where can people get your book? You can buy it off of Amazon. Uh, it was, it was at chapters and Indigo, I think, um, they were carrying it here in Calgary for a while. I'm not sure. Owl's Nest, the local bookstores, you know, within Calgary, but I think if they're, 
is an interest that um, it is, it's available on Amazon. Okay, and they can find you online. I'm sure they can get yep. more info there. Okay. You know what? Thank you so much for coming to do this. It's funny because we do some that are just funny. We do some that are really serious, and we do some that are a mix. And uh, this, this has been more serious, but it's a good mix, and I think it's something people need to hear. Yeah. And uh, I think myself as a comedian, we make light of everything and it's probably not always the best no and i appreciate the seriousness i mean i mean i gotta be honest with you i would have liked to have had a light conversation because you know it's it's so much easier but i'm glad that you got through it and you can come back okay we'll, we'll have a light conversation i'll come back i do like talking to you <laughs> well thank you so no, i like talking to you as well, well. thank you Okay, so be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Sober Not Sane. And subscribe, like, and watch on YouTube. Listen on Spotify and Apple Podcast, And uh, Google me if you want to find me. And thanks again to Liz from the Camera Store. And thank you so much for coming. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Okay, thank you.